welcome and salutations to Den of Utaku. This is Den of Geek's official anime discussion series where we're going to break down anime, Japanese pop culture, and basically just all of the biggest developments that are going on in the industry right now. I am Daniel Curland, and for our inaugural episode, we're going to be tackling the pop culture phenomenon that is Barbenheimer. But not the Barbenheimer you're thinking of. We're not talking about Barbie and Oppenheimer, but rather Superdoll Lika-chan and Grave of the Fireflies. Confused? Well, you're not going to be after this episode of Den of Utaku. First of all, we would like to thank G Fuel Energy for being our sponsor for this episode. Now. Each episode of Den of Utaku is going to work a little differently, but in this Barbenheimer bonanza, we're going to break down Japan's Barbie equivalent, this thing called Lika, as well as the mediums, you know, how they've kind of handled atomic bomb stories over the years in contrast to what we're getting a lot in North American pop culture and media. We're also going to look at Adult Swim and Toonami's relationship with anime and how they've kind of branched into creating their own original series. And we're also going to feature the inaugural editions of Release the Hounds and The Big Three. What could those things be? I know, I want to find out. Now, to kick things off, something that has kind of been unavoidable this summer in movies and film and television is Barbenheimer. You know, people apparently aren't going to the movies as much, movies aren't making as much as they should be, but one thing that's really kind of focused the industry is Barbie and Oppenheimer. And it's been interesting to see how these two very different tonal extremes have brought people together for this weird double feature and how there's even kind of some thematic crossover in these two very different movies. So what's interesting is as much as Barbenheimer has kind of brought people together, anime kind of tackled this exact same thing decades earlier in the late 90s. And so in order to discuss kind of anime's Barbenheimer equivalent, it makes sense to break down each of these extremes separately. So first, let's get into the Barbie side of it. Now, in Japan, instead of having Barbie, there is a fashion doll called Lika. Now, Lika was created in 1967, and it was a fashion doll that basically it, its whole purpose was to provide dreams for girls, which is kind of a bleak statement, but I mean, this is what was going on at the time. And very much like Barbie, Lika is a doll that would have different versions of itself. There is even a pregnant Lika, which caused a bit of a controversy. But the whole idea is that Lika was so powerful that when Mattel was going to different countries to set up Barbie, they kind of just backed out of Japan because they couldn't compete with Lika. Lika was dominating the market. And even now, now, only Barbie and Lika are the two fashion dolls that have been around for more than 25 years. So it's not like these two things are both dolls, but they are very much analogs in that sense. Now, what's interesting is Lika was doing well, but in the late 90s, they wanted to create an anime version of this thing. So basically, the advent of super doll Lika Chan was to create lore to these dolls because up until this point they were just dolls they didn't necessarily have a story so super doll Lika Chan was to give them a story but also to sell more action oriented versions of these things out there and by doing this they tackled the magical girl genre which you know things like Sailor Moon and card captors what Super Doll Lika Chain wanted to do, though, is it has a doll kingdom where all the doll knight Likas come from, which is very similar to the Barbie movie's depiction of Barbie Land, and every doll knight Lika has a human counterpart, and their symptoms are analogous to them, so if 
a human counterpart is feeling sad, their Lika equivalent is also sad. If they're happy, they're also happy. So what I thought was kind of interesting about this is Lika, which started as this product that was supposed to provide dreams for girls, the anime version of it has kind of commodified magical girl culture, and instead of selling dreams, it's now just selling a product. It's taken this kind of pure thing and really twisted it into, you know, just dollars and cents. And that's not dissimilar to what's gone on in the Barbie movie. You know, you have all this cheerful imagery, this this these ideas that are supposed to be empowering, but at the end of the day, it's kind of just a veneer for, you know, corporate synergy and just manipulation in the end. These people think that this, this product is inspirational, but there are kind of sinister means to it. Now, what's also interesting between Barbie and Lika is Barbie has kind of been held up as this transformative toy movie. You know, there have been toy movies before Barbie, but Barbie has kind of shown what can be done. There are now all these Mattel movies that are in production, and Barbie has kind of been foisted as this like new bastion of how to do this thing right. And not dissimilar to that is with Superdoll Lika-chan, they took something like the magical girl genre, which was kind of just transformative escapism, but they added a deeper narrative to it and used it to kind of influence a whole new generation of magical girl shows. You know, we now have magical girl shows that challenge gender norms, like Revolutionary Girl Utina and Review Starlight. You also have magical girl shows that are psychological horror things. You have magical girl shows where girls are literally fighting manifestations of their inner demons like Madoka Magica and Wonder Egg Priority. So even though Super Doll Lika-chan kind of just seems like this silly show about Barbie dolls that are fighting giant dragons and scorpions and weird enemies, it did kind of, you know, rewrite the narrative of what a magical girl show can be, just like how the Barbie movie has rewritten the narrative for what a toy movie can be. Now, on the opposite extreme of Barbie is we, of course, have Oppenheimer. Now, there's a very pointed line in Oppenheimer that talks about how the creator of the bomb isn't necessarily important, that the bomb was inevitable, this was always going to happen, and that what we should be kind of focusing on are the victims. Now, at the same time of Super Doll Lika-chan was a film called Grave of the Fireflies, the Studio Ghibli film by Isao Takahata. It's kind of seen as the holy grail of anime movies, and it's, it's a beautiful, staggering film that kind of shows the human cost of war, and just, you know, it takes a very different approach than what's going on in Oppenheimer. And what's interesting is Oppenheimer kind of focuses on the destroyer of worlds, but I think what's ultimately more important is to look at the worlds that have been destroyed instead. You have films like Grave of the Fireflies, another film called Barefoot Gen, and another film called In This Corner of the World, and they all look at the human cost of war in a way that can kind of get neglected in Oppenheimer and other North American films and movies and in television that are tackling the atomic bomb that can be so focused on ego and hubris, whereas um, these anime versions of it, they're more interested in innocence, loss, kind of perseverance, and 
that's just a more fascinating vantage point, I think, in the end, because they're both creating tension in the same way, which is when the bomb goes off. You watch these series, you watch these movies, and you know the bomb's going to go off, and that's terrifying. But in these anime stories, you really focus on the damages that have been done rather than the, the moral quandary of the people that have created them. So in the case of Grave of the Fireflies, it focuses on two young siblings, Saita and Sesco, who, when the bomb goes off, they're separated from their parents, and these two children kind of just have to go through a fractured world on their own. They see how much humanity has kind of abandoned them, and they have very little to go on. There's a bit of a Life is Beautiful vibe to it, where these children kind of try to mask the horrors of the world to make this a more palatable story. But in the end, it's just a brutal, devastating look into this loss. And it's the type of movie that like, you only want to see once because it's so heartbreaking, but it's, you know, it's revered as one of the greatest anime films of all time for a reason. And on the other side of that, you have this film Barefoot Gen, which again, looks at the Hiroshima bombing, but through the eyes of a young child, as opposed to, you know, adults or people that are on the other side of this loss. And what's really interesting about Barefoot Gen is that it doesn't just look at the victims, but the the person behind the show, Keiji Nakazawa, he is an actual Hiroshima survivor. He went through this, he, he lost his father, his sister as a sibling, his brother too, and what's tragic about this is all of that emotion is really channeled into the film. There's a scene in Barefoot Gen where you see the atomic bomb going off and bodies are just eviscerated. Like, it's a brutal scene and it's not a horror anime per se, but like, the sequence is one of the most terrifying things I've seen in an anime. It's arguably more evocative than anything that's in Oppenheimer and it hits so well because it's coming from this place of the victims and it's important to not sugarcoat that or hide that and it hits as hard as it does because it wants you to kind of feel this loss in a very visceral way. There's another more recent anime film called In This Corner of the World, and what it does is it follows a, a another young adult who's a little older named Suzu, who grew up in Hiroshima, but she gets married and she's able to get out of the community a little, but what it does that's different is it builds tension leading up to the bomb going off, but it also follows afterwards. and. Suzu, she's an artist. She really expresses creative freedom in painting. And after the bomb goes off, she loses her right arm. So now she can no longer express herself. So it's a very brutal story of just this person who isn't just reckoning with the changed world, but also how she can kind of be the person she used to be and still find creative fulfillment, even though she's lost a physical part of herself. And in Grave of the Fireflies, the characters don't make it out of the story alive, but in, in this corner of the world, in Barefoot Gen, you get these really powerful stories of perseverance and how despite these tragedies, people can find a way to move on and to still find connection and to uh, you know still celebrate beauty in a world that might seem like it's void of that. I mean, even Gen in Barefoot Gen translates to source or roots, and the kind of impetus there is that the film is supposed to be setting up an inspirational figure for a post-nuclear bomb war and just a world where people can walk comfortably barefoot on Hiroshima soil and not feel like it's haunted, that there is still hope for the future. It's one thing to kind of just push these films on people, but I do think it's important that people are aware of this side of the story as well. Oppenheimer is a great film, but it's very myopic in its presentation and it has its own 
reasons for doing that. But what's interesting is by hiding these tragedies, it's much easier to forget them in the long run. And Grave of the Fireflies, Barefoot Gen, and in this corner of the world, they make sure that these things aren't being forgotten. They're presenting it to audiences in a way that makes sure that they remember. And that's not to say that you should watch these movies instead of Oppenheimer, but instead watch them together. If you've seen Oppenheimer a lot of times, watch them with Grave of the Fireflies. Watch it with Barefoot Gen. And what it's going to do is ultimately give you a fuller picture of what went on here. You get the full story, much like with Barbie. Barbie, you know, you get this interesting story of corporate greed and synergy and, and empowerment at the same time. But if you watch it alongside Superdoll Likachin, you can see that this isn't specific to Barbie, that this kind of cycle has been going on in the 90s. We had this anime Barbenheimer. Now we have it with Barbie and Oppenheimer and that it very well could happen again down the road, that this cycle is ongoing that there are these extremes that humanity keep being drawn to but it's just interesting depending on if you're coming from japan or north america you're getting very different sides of that story and i just thought that was kind of fascinating that we've gone through this barbenheimer phenomena twice but that both from very different just perspectives on it all now before we get into our next segment i'd like to ask you all a question is there a zero sugar vitamin packed energy drink inspired by one of the most iconic anime franchises of all time? Well, to quote Naruto Uzumaki himself, believe it. G Fuel Energy, purveyors of the best tasting and coolest pop culture collabs in the energy drink industry, have not one but two flavors inspired by Naruto Shippuden. We have Pomelo and White Peach Sage Mode and Soda Ice Candy Rasengan. Call me Natalie Ambrulia because I'm a little torn between these two. I don't know which one I want to drink. You can drink them in two different ways too. We have a powdered energy drink formula and as a ready to drink 16 ounce can. So whichever way you enjoy them, G Fuel Sage Mode and Rasengan are zero sugar, loaded with vitamins, antioxidants, and plant-based ingredients. And yes, you heard that right earlier. Like all G Fuel products, Naruto Shippuden, Sage Mode, and Rasengan are zero sugar. So you can channel your energy and unleash your full potential without crashing later. G Fuel Energy Formula has just 15 calories per serving, while G Fuel cans have zero calories, not a single calorie, guys. So. Look for G Fuel's Naruto Shippuden collection at the Vitamin Shop, Walmart, FYE, Amazon, and of course, GFuel.com. And as a special bonus, don't tell anyone about this, use code UTAKU, that is O-T-A-K-U, to get 25% off your first order for a limited time only. And remember, G Fuel, the number one zero sugar energy drink of gaming, anime, and pop culture. Drink it. Another den of Utaku area of fascination I'd like to shine a little light on is Toonami, Adult Swim, and the relationship that they've been building with anime. Now, if you're a North American anime fan, it's probably safe to assume that one of the first times you saw anime was on Toonami. I mean, they were huge for bringing Dragon Ball Z to North America, shows like Trigun, Cowboy Bebop, Outlaw Star. Up until that point, one of the main ways of seeing anime was just on physical media. And so Toonami really helped get it on television, helped popularize these shows, and not just get it to more people, but like 
expand their fandom in a huge way where a whole new sect of people can see these shows. And what's been fascinating is that Toonami and Adult Swim have continued to do this. I mean, even now, people watch My Hero Academia and Attack on Titan on Toonami. These things are still going on. But what has changed is their relationship has evolved from just a broadcaster of anime and a distributor is that they're actually starting to produce original series now and there's been a bit of this going on in the past with shows like Fena, Pirates, and um, Housing Complex C which is like a really weird horror anime. There's a Shenmue anime which is like based on a kind of fringe video game but they've been doing a good job of kind of narrowing in on certain parts of the fandom that deserve celebration and what's been very interesting is they just announced an upcoming show called Lazarus which is a collaboration between Shinichiro Watanabe who is best known for Cowboy Bebop, Samurai Champloo, uh, Space Dandy and he's working alongside Chad Stileski from the John Wick franchise as well as MAPPA Animation who are just some of the best anim animation studio working right now like all of their shows are just gorgeous to look at and what's cool about this is it marks Shinichiro Watanabe's return to science fiction to do like space operas and that in itself would be a huge thing to celebrate but the fact that he's with Chad Stileski shows that Toonami has kind of gone out of their way to assemble this powerhouse team that isn't just making a new anime series but probably a series that's going to be one of the biggest shows of the decade that's destined to influence other anime shows and it's really just kind of impressive I think that Toonami now isn't just producing anime that are like cheap shows, but they're really trying to make anime that will leave an impact on the industry and change what's coming forward. And Lazarus is the biggest show to get excited about, but there's other things going on too. They're doing an Uzumaki anime based on the Junji Ito manga. There's been a few Junji Ito anime series, but none of them have really kind of effectively captured um, the essence of his artwork and how just freaky it can be, but Uzumaki looks like it's actually kind of tapping into the horror of the manga in a way that no other series has been able to. There's a Rick and Morty anime coming out, so it's very interesting that Toonami is still a broadcaster for anime, but they really do want to make a push to just change the industry, that they've, they're a programming block that, you know, helped anime find a new home, but now they're influencing anime in a way that is really inspirational, and it should be exciting to see how this changes in the next five years, if they're producing even more original content, and if they are kind of seen as this, like, great place to go if you want to see a new original anime series. Now, listen, do you, do you hear that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the sound of the newest edition of Release the Hounds. Okay, so Release the Hounds is a Den of Utaku segment where we're going to talk about physical media. You know, remember physical media is before we had everything that was an algorithm or just digital tax write-offs. Anime has a interesting relationship with physical media that it used to be back in the day. If you wanted to watch an anime, you basically had to just buy a VHS, remember VHS, or DVDs, and kind of just trust that what you were getting was going to be something you're interested in. Anime still has a really important relationship with physical media, and... 
What's interesting to see is that there are still certain anime that you can only see on physical media that they aren't readily streaming anywhere. And so this segment in each episode of Den of Utaku is going to highlight just some physical media that you might want to check out, that you might want to add to your collection. Or, you know, if you're interested in taking the plunge in, in buying some stuff, then these are some perhaps good places to start. So the first thing on Release the Hounds we want to talk about is keep your hands off Aizuken. This is a really beautiful show about a trio of girls who start an anime club at their school and all of these girls are kind of introverts in their own way but as they start creating and animating and creating art they really come out of their shells and that's kind of a theme that always resonates with me I think it's beautiful when you see people that don't know how to communicate but then they find the right tools and they can really just show the world their hearts um this is such a love letter to the nature of animation, how every aspect of it is important, whether it's the visuals, sound design, and just the collaborative process. It's directed by Masaaki Yuasa, who is one of my favorite people working in anime right now. He's done Lou Over the Wall and, and uh, Mind Game, The Night is Short, Walk On Girl. Just a beautiful animation style all around. And this show just really highlights what it means to be a fan of the creative process and just animation anime in general. It's such a love letter to that. And what's neat is the Blu-ray release is the first time this show has had an English dub. That was never available before. So if you are someone that needs an English version of anime, this is the way to do that. It's a good dub. You're not losing anything in the translation process here. So keep your hands off Aizuken. Another show we'd like to highlight here is Thus Spoke Kashibi Rohan. This is a spin-off of the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure series. JoJo, if you're not familiar, is kind of the one of the weirdest, most successful anime going on right now. It takes a very unique storytelling approach that it, 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 it does this generational thing where each series looks at a different descendant of this prolific bloodline rather than telling you like a linear narrative all the time. And thus spoke Kashibi Rohan focuses on like a fringe character in the series, Rohan, who is a comic artist. And in this show, he kind of just winds up having to solve some weird mysteries. He has a special power where he can read others, but he becomes like a beacon for supernatural activity. Thus spoke Kashibi Rohan, you can totally watch without any JoJo knowledge. You don't need that to appreciate this show. The animation is gorgeous, so it's just a beautiful show to look at, at nothing else. But also, if you've been curious to check out JoJo, like, it is just a good entry point for that, too. It kind of gives you a primer on what that universe is all about, and it's only a handful of episodes, so it's not a huge commitment if you want something that looks good and tells like a fun, unique story, but isn't going to, you know, be hundreds of episodes that dominates, you know, most of your life. And the last thing on Release the Hounds we'd like to celebrate is Ashido no Joe, volume two in 4K. Sports anime is like a very interesting genre. Curiously enough, like Western animation doesn't really celebrate sports in any way. You don't really see any cartoons that are focused purely on sports. This is not the case in anime. There's basically an anime for every sport imaginable, as well as a bunch that don't even exist. 
A Shiro no Joe is from the 80s, and it's kind of the prototypical boxing anime. Like, it is a fairly grounded, and it follows Joe Yabuki, who is a juvenile delinquent who kind of uh, finds his purpose once he steps into the boxing ring. And if you've been curious about sports anime but don't know where to check it out, or if you're just a big fan of boxing, A Shiro no Joe is a great place to start that gives you, like, a really good classical retro series. It's never looked better now that it's in 4K. That's kind of been a, a, a sticking point for some fans in the past that they wanted to check it out, but it just didn't look good by modern standards. But now that's all there. So, yeah, that's kind of what we thought would be fun to look at here and release The Hounds. Again, to sum that up, we have Keep Your Hands Off Izuken, Thus Spoke Kashibi Rohan, and Ashido no Joe Volume 2 in 4K. And... Judging by my calculations, it sounds like it's time for another edition of The Big Three. Now, you might be wondering, what's The Big Three? Valid question. So, in Japan, Big Three is the name that's used for the top three shonen series, Naruto, One Piece, and Bleach, that were all running concurrently in Shonen Jump at the same time. We're kind of taking that title, The Big Three, as a catch-all to kind of just alert you to certain anime miscellanea that might otherwise slip through the cracks. There's so much anime to explore, you know. Hundreds of new shows come out every year. There's old shows, there's new shows. It's impossible to stay on top of it all. So these are just a collection of programs that I think are doing something different, a little off the beaten path, and deserve some attention. Something that, you know, they're standing out in ways that I don't think other shows do. So the first thing we wanna highlight on the big three is One Piece Film Red. This is a movie in the One Piece series. One Piece is kind of having a moment right now after the live action Netflix series. And what's interesting about One Piece Film Red is that it kind of shelves the main characters in in exchange for a character named Uda, who's a singer, and it kind of becomes a concert film. Like, this whole film is focused on Uda performing her first big public concert, but her music also has supernatural elements that might put the world in danger. That's where Luffy and the regular One Piece characters come in. But, you know, One Piece has kind of been a staggering tome for some people to break down. There's thousands of episodes, and people just don't have the time. This film is very much like a standalone entity that you can watch on your own if you're curious about One Piece, if you've been watching the live action series and want a taste of what the anime is doing, One Piece Film Red is something you can watch that doesn't spoil the show's arc at all and is just kind of a fun look at what is possible in One Piece. And at the same time, there's just beautiful music and it kind of functions as this weird concert film. So if you just don't like action in Shonen series but are interested in like a concert movie, One Piece Film Red is, you know, something that you might want to check out. The next thing we have on the big three is Undead Girl Murder Farce. Wild title. What's going on in this show is it's a very curious blend of many different genres and sensibilities. It's a crime fiction detective series, but also blends things with gothic horror. Basically, you have a Sherlock and Watson type of trope going on, but in this case, it's like a himbo holding a severed head in a birdcage who solve mysteries together. At the same time, there are werewolves in this world, there are vampires in this world. Sherlock Holmes and Watson are characters too. The Phantom of the Opera is a character. Jack the Ripper is a character. And so, it's this very interesting mix of literary characters and real-life history and just genre tropes in a way that is so special and something I really haven't seen before. So, 
If you like detective fiction and mysteries, it's something you should check out. If you like horror, just in general, there's a lot of that going on here. And if you just want something weird that doesn't take itself too seriously and knows how to have fun at the same time, Undead Girl Murder Farce has a lot of that going on, and I guarantee you there is no other show this anime season that's doing the same thing. The last show we want to highlight here is ZOM 100, Bucket List of the Dead. I'm really not that um, excited by zombies. I think they're my least favorite horror trope. Um, it's just kind of tired and overdone. I've never really been excited by a zombie series before, which is why ZOM 100 is so refreshing and different. It's kind of like the I Think You Should Leave sketch where Tim Robinson sees a monster and is happy that he doesn't have to go into work the next day. What's going on in this show is you have like a nine to five corporate worker who has just zoned out, he hates his life, a zombie apocalypse happens, and suddenly he's excited that he can do everything that he always wanted to, but doesn't have to report to a job anymore. So he finally has this freedom. And despite how the world is falling apart in a zombie, Armageddon has ravaged the world, he's never been happier, and he can kind of just live out his dreams, whether that's buying a big screen television or traveling around the world in an RV. And there's a bit of Shaun of the Dead going on in there, but it is very much its own thing and if you like zombie shows I think it's a must if you hate zombie shows I still think it's a must and it just finds the like such a refreshing perspective on how to do a zombie story that's really a coming-of-age narrative about somebody achieving their goals and learning what they want out of life even though the world is worse than it's ever been so to sum that up again for the big three we have one piece film red Undead Girl Murder Farce, and ZOM 100, Bucket List of the Dead. Now, unfortunately, fellow otaku, I think we're all out of time for this episode before I must get Izakai back to reality. So once again, I'd like to thank G Fuel for being our sponsor. I'd like to thank you for being our audience. And remember, Den of Utaku will never lead you astray when it comes to anime. Until next time, Space Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs>